Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Creators Radio Show. I'm your host, Adam Homey, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators, those who help others win at the game of business and marketing. And to be a business creator could mean one of several different things. It may mean you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or a local business owner. It could mean you're a marketing or business coach. It could be you're somebody who helps others build their businesses, such as a web designer, a graphic designer, an online business manager, a social media strategist, a media or publicity representative. There are many different ways we can help others succeed in business. Or you could be the kind of business creator who's a do-it-yourselfer. You just love having your own hands on the lever, running your own business, and you do your best marketing and your best promotions when you see it come to life right before your very eyes. If you are one or more of the above, please take a few moments, explore our episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show and subscribe. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. So what we're going to talk about today is a little bit of a departure from some of the topics we typically see on the Business Creators Radio Show, which tends to be about online entrepreneurship. And we're going to talk about something that really does affect all of us, even if we don't think of ourselves as being quote-unquote corporate or a quote-unquote company. And it's all about stopping the leadership malpractice and how to replace the typical performance appraisal to improve performance. And our guest, Wally Houck, which I'm going to, who I'm going to introduce in just a second here, is going to share some great insights on this. Now, you probably heard me say performance appraisal, and a lot of folks may be listening thinking, well, we don't do those performance appraisals. Well, the fact is, if you have a virtual team, if you have contractors or you have employees, whether or not you have a formal performance appraisal and compensation plan in place or you're just paying invoices, when you have people who have a relationship with you, who are helping you win at the game of business and marketing, there is going to be a feedback mechanism because they're going to want to support you more and you're going to want their support more. Also the same if you are the business creator and you're somebody else's virtual team member or contractor, and most of us are in one way or another. So just to tell you a little bit about Wally here, uh, he has the cure for the deadly disease known as the typical performance appraisal. Wally holds a doctorate in organizational leadership from Warren National University, an MBA in finance from Iona College, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and a bachelor's degree in philosophy from the University of Pennsylvania. Wally is a certified speaking professional, or CSP, the certified speaking professional designation, which for those of you who are familiar, was established in 1980, is the speaking industry's international measure of professional platform skill. For 18 years, Wally and his consulting firm, Optimum Leadership, have consulted with dozens of organizations and coached hundreds of individuals in improving leadership skills, employee engagement, and performance. Again, even if you don't have employees, even if you have virtual assistants and contractors, or you are a virtual assistant or a contractor or a remote worker, this applies to you. Wally embraces Dr. W. Edwards Demings, oh, that's a name I certainly remember from my MBA school, uh, his theory of profound knowledge to assist leaders to develop, to develop and remove obstacles in the system that block effective performance. As a professor of organizational change development at the University of New Haven, Connecticut, Wally received the highest ratings of all professors in 2012. Definitely somebody we're very honored to have with us today. Wally, how are you today? 
Uh, excellent, Adam. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. And as, uh, and as we're going to discover as we go through our interview here, the idea of performance appraisals is kind of a hot-button issue for me. Um, I used to be a corporate employee, and I was on the receiving end of some of the worst practices for performance appraisals that you would ever find out there. Some of it just mystifies me to this day, uh, the fiction that I was hearing. It was just, it's just crazy. So we know this is an endemic issue. And if you have employees or you have a team of people who work closely with you who look for your feedback, you must pay attention to what we're saying today. I myself have a team that works for me, and I'm also involved in various other organizations. Just That's just the way online marketing works. And I'm going to be sitting right next to our listeners today with my pen and paper out, and I'm going to be taking very careful notes on what Wally's going to share with us today. So, Wally, are you ready to dive in here? Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. And uh, once you get me started, it's going to be tough for you to stop me, so go ahead. Well, we only have 60 minutes, but uh, I will, I will once I get right. you rolling here, I'll know to just sort of sit back and let you take the wheel, and that's perfectly fine by me because I know you're going to unleash a fire hose of knowledge on us. But before we do that, before we do that, let's just take a quick step back and give those of our listeners who may not have heard of you yet a chance to get to know you a little. So just tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to where you are today. I know I read off your biography and you know, very impressive credentials. Um, very honored to have someone of your caliber on the Business Creators Radio Show, but just tell us, you know, sort of like what were some of the experiences that led you to where you are today, helping business sure. creators and leaders improve the quality of their performance appraisal systems? Well, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself, and I have a very small organization that I worked with, right. and uh, what I appreciate about your producer, you know, she called me and she said, or she emailed me, she said, you know, how is this going to really apply to our entrepreneurs? And so I'm going to give that twist because uh, what I believe is that we've been taught the wrong things in school, in universities, and in our uh, organizations. And, and so we're dealing with with this background, this history that we we've been taught the wrong things, and or things. Uh, l- let me rephrase that. That that sounds a little arrogant. We've been taught things <laughs> that are no longer applicable in the knowledge economy. They were applicable in the industrial age, in the early part of the industrial age, and they worked really well to get us uh, to kickstart us. But they they just don't work as well anymore. And so I want to give your listeners. Uh, a different take on this, and I bet some of them already know, if they're successful entrepreneurs, they already know some of these things, but I think the light bulb will go off. Now, I, I didn't answer your question, so let me let me just back up for a second because you, you wanted to know a little bit more about me. Uh, I live in Connecticut. I'm married. I've got uh, two daughters, uh, three grandkids, three dogs, and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the reason I got uh, passionate about this is I worked for a large company for 12 years in my early part of my career, and I was about 60% of the time I was miserable, and I had no idea why. I really didn't know why, but I knew I was miserable. I thought there was something wrong with me. And what happened one day was I was in sales, and I one of my clients called and said, listen, we've got a huge order for you. It's a million-dollar order and we want you to get ready. Uh, I'll get you the purchase order in a couple of days. I said, oh, my God, that's fantastic. So I told my boss there was a sales meeting coming up. They put me up on the stage. They gave me an award for this million-dollar order, which I had not received yet. I didn't ask them for the award. 
Two days later, the customer called and said, you know what, I made a mistake. We're going to have to wait. You're just not going to get it right now. Uh, you know, the marketing guys made a different decision. So I told my boss, he told the VP, the VP who handed me the award two days earlier berated me in his office about how stupid I was uh, to put him in that position. So in two days, I went from a hero to a bum. And that was uh, that gave me the major hint that there was something wrong with the way we lead people in organizations. And it left such an impression on me that it's led me really about 30 years later to this very point in talking with you. Right, right. And I have been, as I mentioned a few moments ago, on the receiving end of some quote-unquote interesting performance appraisals in my corporate days that I'm thinking in some cases, wait a minute, are you sure you're actually evaluating the right person because it doesn't even sound like my, my <laughs> job doesn't sound like what me. Is this, what is, this, what is this driven by? And then later on, uh, one of the supervisors who had put me in that position, he said, you know, basically all this stuff is bullshit. And thought, I mean, these were exact words. That's what he said. Basically this oh stuff is, is bullshit. They tell me wow. that I'm supposed to do these performance appraisals, but really they've already told me how much money I can give you. I just have to find the language to justify it. There you go. That's and that, so what that happens. That tell you about the problems. That that happens more often than not. Uh, most of the time, uh, that is is in the atmosphere. You can smell it, but mm-hmm. you, but it's not named. And uh, at least that guy or woman who I don't know whether it was a guy or a woman, but at least they were honest with you about that. Uh, because they were just as frustrated as you were, and that's that's why this is malpractice. Because there's other options. People know it's wrong. They do it anyway, and it causes injury. That's malpractice. If a doctor did that, they would be sued. And and right. uh, and I'm not suggesting that leaders be sued. I'm just suggesting they begin to think differently because there's other options. Right. Right, right. Well, there's one more thing I want to ask you before we get into the main body of our content today. And this is something I ask all of our guests. And what I love is not only the variety of answers I get, but the variety of interpretations that I get when I ask the question. So here on the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have pretty much everything at their disposal to implement anything that any of our guests will share with us except for time and money. Now, as I said, this is a question we ask everybody that appears on our show, and what I'd like to get a sense of how you feel that these variables apply to properly appraising and developing those who work for or support your organization. Well, um, how these principles, I'm sorry, uh, just repeat that again. I want to make sure that I got it right. Or let me repeat it, uh, repeat the question. What you're asking is, how do, how do we apply this uh, to entrepreneurs who have, don't have the time and don't have the money? I think that's that would be a great way to go about it. That'd be a great okay. way to go about it because I think those are. I think it's almost self-evident for anybody who's ever been on the giving or receiving end of a performance appraisal is okay. it doesn't always take top priority. Okay. Well, um, if they have 1995, they could they could buy my book and it'll give it to them. If they don't have 1995, they can just hear the what I'm going to share with them next because the the model that I have. Uh, you just entrepreneurs are very flexible, and so changing the way you think about how people behave 
and how to treat people is critical. That does not cost anything to change the way you think. And managing the the key the key skill here, Adam, is about managing agreements with people. I'm just gonna really this is an oversimplification, okay? Right. The oversimplification is you facilitate agreements with people either who you work with or who report to you, who you pay as a salary, pay as part time, or who are clients. If they purposely break those agreements, don't work with them. It, it's really that simple. Now, it's not easy, but it is that simple. There, there's a lot of things in life that are that are simple to understand. They're not necessarily easy to do. But it, but if you work at that, it's like a muscle. If you facilitate agreements with people and watch what they do, if they keep those agreements with you, you continue to work with them. But that means you have to be impeccable in, in you managing your agreements as well. And this brings right. us right back to... Uh, Dr. Deming. Deming is the gentleman that taught uh, Toyota how to build a car, and that's why they kicked uh, everybody's butt, and their cap, their current capitalization is larger than the top, uh, all three of the top uh, American uh, uh, manufacturers uh, today, and they're number one, and uh, and that's, uh, you know, 60 years later, they're number one. So, right. Um, so that's one of the keys, and that costs you nothing to do that. Right, right. I think that is something that we need to think about very carefully, which is taking the first step here. It's actually very simple, and it's about forming and following a new paradigm. So why do people and companies or whatever type of organization we're talking about here hate the typical performance appraisal? And while we're at it, why does pretty much everyone hate being rated by a boss or by a client? Well, um there's a number of different reasons. I'll just give you a couple. One is that it damages trust and relationships. And anytime you're, unless you are, you know, a serial killer, you care about relationships. Right. And people want to be trusted. Uh, you know, studies show that if uh, if you're separated for long periods of time from people, you get ill or you die. We want to be connected to people. We want to have relationships. The typical performance appraisal most of the time damages the relationship. And if you believe, and then here's part of the theory, okay? Here's part, of, right. here's part of the theory that the entrepreneurs, I bet, will agree with. That is, if you have trust, you have higher performance. If you have trust, you have more money. You, you have more profit. If you have trust, you, have, you get more revenue because people want to uh, work with you. So... Uh, the typical appraisal, or let, let me say it differently because, again, most of the entrepreneurs don't conduct the typical appraisal. But if you right. treat people the way the typical appraisal treats them, you will damage trust and you will damage relationships and you're going to damage revenue. And, uh, for example, there, I, I, we can all think of people that we wouldn't work with ever. Uh, and why is that? My guess is they they were either disrespectful to you or they they could not be trusted because they would not keep their agreements. So why that it really comes down to that and that's behavioral. It's observable behavior. You don't need to give somebody a grade in order to know whether or not uh they're keeping agreements or being respectful. You don't you don't need to give them a grade on that, silly. 
In fact, there's a, uh, here's the other reason, too. Do I have another second to explain this? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, the other reason is that there are factors outside of our control that prevent us from performing effectively, and I call those systems issues. That's a Deming thought. I'll give you an example. I love Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and uh, um, for years and years I would go to a Dunkin' Donuts. There's a ton of them up in Connecticut. I'd go to Dunkin' Donuts and I'd ask, and I'd go to the drive-in. I'd ask for a large cream, no sugar. Now, about 10% of the time I'd get sugar, which I can't drink, and I'd find out after I'm driving away, I paid for the coffee, I take a sip, I, now I can't drink it. Now I'm out two and a half bucks or 220 and I can't drink it. And I'm on my way to the client, I can't go back. So I'm frustrated, I'm angry. This right. one place did it to me twice in one week. I, I stopped the car, I turned around, I'm driving back, I'm going to yell at the clerk, I'm going to yell at the manager, I'm going to scream until I get free coffee for the rest of my life. I was really, <laughs> I, I know I, I, I'm making more of it than, than uh, I probably should, but I was angry because I, I was very clear. Uh, cream, no sugar, right? That's very clear. Right. How clear. How much more clear could you be? So I get back there, but I realized this is what I want the entrepreneurs to ask when they're dealing with people, when they're dealing with clients or they're dealing with their coworkers or they're dealing with people that report to them or even their friends. Is it a values issue or a systems issue? A values issue means either they broke an agreement or they were disrespectful. Well, this wasn't a values issue. They weren't being disrespectful. The clerk was not doing this on purpose. So right. it must be a systems issue, which means that there's a process that's broken. Which process is broken? It's the ordering process. Well, what do I say in the ordering process? I'm the one that orders the coffee. I mention the word sugar. So I'm actually saying sugar, they're hearing sugar, and they think I want sugar, even though I said no sugar, because the brain only thinks in terms of positive, not negatives. So I was actually causing the problem, not the clerk. And when you try to grade people, so I could grade that clerk, but it makes no sense because I was the one that contributed to her making that error. So my grade, I could mark her down, but what good does that do? It does absolutely no good. And this is what leaders do. I call that leadership malpractice, where leaders do something that causes a mistake or causes a problem, and the people are doing the best they can, most of them, and we blame the people, it, it, you get nowhere. You get absolutely nowhere. I call that leadership malpractice, and that's why I wrote the book. Right. And you've raised some very interesting points here because we tend to blame individuals. And I found this a lot when I uh, have to deal with customer service departments and I feel that I'm not getting well treated. I've had this experience with hosting companies that didn't seem to care when I was having endless problems with my websites, even though I knew I was doing everything right. We were not getting hacked and everything we were doing was what we were supposed to be doing as far as those websites. And I recognized that, uh, you know, they – let, let me let me just, you know, get to this. I, I would tell them, look, look, I can tell because I know a thing or two about this too. I know that the server that my websites are hosted on right now is about to explode. I can tell. Here's the indicators. They would say, no, press servers are fine. It's your WordPress. And then a week later, sites go down for three days, and what do you know? They had to replace the server machine. And, uh, and it's like, I, at that time, I had to say I told you so. 
But then yeah. I went to yeah. this website. Then I went to this website. It's called Glassdoor.com, where employees of organizations will frequently post about their experiences working there, both past and present. And I found several of the same tech support people who I've been berating saying, you know, it's really bad. Our, our management forces us to promote and service these antiquated servers that break down all the time, and our customers get mad at us. And that was eye-opening to me, thinking, there's not a value issue. This, this tech service rep didn't have issue. it for me. It's yeah. a leadership it's a and a system. systems issue. Yep, there, that's right. a great example. It's a great example. Right. So how could you evaluate those people or give them a grade knowing that there's other factors that are impacting them. And, in fact, uh, one you could make the case that uh, the leaders were asking them to lie. Right. Right? I could, very, could, I could very, strongly make, very strongly make that case. And I have, not, I have less than half a doubt in my mind that uh, they were told either directly or through very strong implication to do everything possible to make the customer jump through hoops before acknowledging anything was wrong. There you go. That's uh, that's just not uh, – that's what we're talking about. It's a great example. It's a great example. It's another great example. Right. right. So, 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 what do we, so what do we do to fix this? Because even I've had conversations with customer service reps where I say, look, I understand you're caught between a rock and a hard place here. I'm just trying to get what I paid for. What can you do to help me? So what happens when they can't help? I mean, what can we do to fix this so that – you know, people get the proper appraisals and they get the proper support. I mean, this is important for entrepreneurs, especially if you're an entrepreneur hiring people to handle your customer service. We, I mean, this is, I think, where our listeners really need to hone in right now because if you have a virtual assistant or a business manager like I have, I know it's very important that I give uh, – actually, I have three of them, Tracy, Nikki, and Michelle. It's very important that I give them what they need to do what they need to do for me and I support them when they need the support, and I don't leave them feel like they're twisting in the wind. So what do we need to do, Wally? And I think this is going to be the golden key right here, to support the people who support us, to make sure that they don't feel twisted in the wind, and then we turn around and give them bad evaluations for not rendering good customer service. Yeah, the, the number one thing, and this is going to sound uh, a little vague, so I'm going to see if I can add as much detail as I can. The, uh, what I want what I want everyone to start to think about doing is creating an environment or what I call creating a context, not evaluating people. So focus on creating the context, and that's what leaders do. They create an environment that allows people to behave in a way that works best for everyone, that optimizes. That's why I call my organization Optimum Leadership. Because what you want to do is you want to optimize. You don't want to maximize. You usually don't want to maximize anything in a system because when you maximize something, you, t you t tend to burn something else out. So that's why they have speed right. limits on the highway, right? Exactly. <laughs> because you don't want to go maximum speed. You want to optimize. You don't want to always go at full tilt because something will break or something um, something will not be able to keep up. So creating the context is absolutely key and so that means is the vision clear are you giving them a clear vision what's a vision it's a picture of what you would like in the future what do you want to build in the future what does it look like what's the metaphor is it clear to them such that they could take action without calling you up and saying what should I do here I don't know what to do so you want to be able to give them a, a context where they can take action just as if they were you. 
because you've made that so clear to them. So what is the vision? What's the mission? What's the purpose of your organization? Now, here's where, here's where some entrepreneurs get caught up because they say, well, my purpose is to make money. No, 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 no. Uh, money or, or profit is like oxygen to the body. You don't live to breathe. You know, you don't live to get oxygen. You live, You have to have a higher purpose. What is that purpose? What are you doing to serve your customers in a way that gets people excited? Now, you put the mission and the vision together, and now, you're, now you've got a couple of pieces in that foundation. I call it the, the house of foundation and engagement. You're creating a foundation for a house of, of engagement and performance. And those are the two pieces. Here's another piece. The other piece is the values. What are, what are values? It's how you're going to behave as you move toward that vision and as you live that purpose. So you want to tell the truth. You want to uh, always keep your agreements. When you can't keep your agreements, you want to let people know. You always want to be respectful in every single way. There's, no, there's never a reason to be disrespectful in business. There just isn't. In life, actually, there's never a reason to be disrespectful. And right. there's never a reason to lie about your agreements. So you've got to be able to tell the truth. Now, it's not always easy. On the other hand, that it's observable behavior. Just like those leaders were really putting, uh, the, the story that you told, the leaders were putting the customer service people in a position where they either had to lie or they might be marked down. See, that's a control mechanism. When you're and, and that's here's the final piece is uh, in management theory, and because our current management theory is based on a fellow by the name of uh, Frederick Taylor, uh, he created this thing called scientific management, and in scientific management it was very valuable in the 1800s because here's what it said: Look, I know how to do this. I'm an engineer. I figured this out. Here are the simple tasks you have to follow. I'm going to pay you if you follow those tasks. If you don't pay attention to those tasks and you don't follow them, uh, I'm either going to fire you or I'm not going to pay you. It's that simple. Well, in the 1800s, when we had factories, uh, the, the tasks were simple. But now the tasks are not they're not simple anymore. They're very complex. And the interactions are very complex. And the processes are complex. And the, and the people have to think for themselves. So the management theory can't be about control. I know best. Do what I tell you. It has to be about uh, processes and managing variation and improving the interactions between the parts in the system, not trying to improve the people. So when you put those four pillars in that foundation, now you've got a solid foundation and you can turn people loose. And you turn people loose and they do amazing things. And, and there's a lot of organizations that are doing this. So if you look at Google, of course, Google makes tons and tons of money so they can afford it. And a lot of people right. look at Google and they say, well, uh, well, they play ping pong during the day. You know, they got benefits up the, you know, giggy. And, uh, you know, they let them, uh, you know, they give them one day off a week so they can create anything they want because they have lots of money and they pay them a lot of stuff. Okay, all that stuff is true. But, they, but underlying that is this freedom uh, and a lack of control, and that's the environment that you've got to create. Right, absolutely. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you here, uh, since we're kind of on this subject, is why do we have 
so many managers who are so poor at giving appraisals. We can't entirely blame senior management or blame breakdowns in the system. I think there are a lot of individual managers and supervisors out there who just don't know how to give an appraisal, who don't know how to give the right level of praise, the right level of tough love or whatever it takes to really help their employees develop and be able to participate in the appraisal process rather than feel like it's being something done to them. Yeah. Um, the, the, the smart aleck answer to that question is they're not God. <laughs> uh, they can't do an appraisal because they're not God. That's why it says in the Bible, uh, "Do not judge, or you will be. Uh, do not judge, or you will be judged." And it's just great advice because there's no way to judge someone because you can never be omniscient. You can't be all knowing to be able to judge that person. And right. it, it uh, all it does, it, it, and see that's a Frederick Taylor thought. That's a Frederick. That's part of the Frederick Taylor. Th- a thinking model that we currently use in our schools, in our universities, and in our organizations. It's where the manager is omnipotent and all-knowing and all-powerful. Uh, you got a problem? You got to go to the manager. Ask the manager. You got a problem with someone else in another department? Go to. Don't go talk to them. Go talk to your manager, and the manager will go and solve the problem. Uh, you got a problem with uh, somebody within your department? Go talk to the manager. Let the manager bring in the two of you together. The manager. It's always about the manager becomes the focal point. Now, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, um, many organizations hire managers who knew how to do the job that. Uh, that they previously did, they knew it really well. But to be a true leader of people, it requires a whole other level of of competencies. So they're usually crappy leaders, but they but they know your job. See, that's that's also consistent with the Frederick Taylor model. In other words, the manager knows everything. Tell tell the manager what you need. The manager will solve your problem for you. That's treating. Employees like children. It's not treating them like adults. And then, and then, and then people. I wrote a blog uh, two years ago. It's gotten the most hits of any blog I've ever written. The title of it is, "Why do employees behave like children?" The answer is, we treat them like children. <laughs> that's that's right. what we do. Oh, I certainly see that. I, I mean, I, I've been, as I said, in corporate environments. I don't know people who have been, and I'm thinking, really. You, you think I could have figured that one out maybe somewhere along the line. I, I, wasn't, I, I was born at least the day before yesterday. That much I know. Uh, yeah, there you go. I was alive. <laughs> it, feels, it feels disrespectful. See, that's what you're oh. describing. It feels disrespectful. Right. Yeah, that's, that's why it doesn't that's – that's one of the reasons it does not work. You're putting, a, you're putting someone in a position where they have to be all-knowing and then they pretend to be all-knowing, and it feels disrespectful to the person they're talking to. You, you just you described know, this, it perfectly. Yeah, you know this. This reminds me of something. And there, you know, one of the people who I, one of the people I know who I have a lot of respect for. He's a he's a friend of mine, and he's worked in the automotive sales industry his entire life. Ever since he was in high school, he worked in car dealerships, and then rather than go to college, he went and become. He went and worked his way up and became an automotive salesman. And he was a really, or is rather, because he's still in the industry, a really good car salesman. He's really good at it. And with two different dealerships, they've looked at his ability to bring in revenues and move units and say he's management material. 
And the first yes. time, the first time he accepted the promotion, he sat in the manager's office for two weeks and he said, you know, I really, I don't feel that I'm cut out to be management. Please put me back on the floor where I belong. And they obliged him. And then the second time he was working somewhere and they came along and they said, you know, we really love your numbers. I think it's time we promote you to manager. He said, no, thanks. My contribution is down here on the floor. And, uh, and it's because he has a level of recognition and a level of emotional intelligence to recognize that whether he could someday be a manager at this point, he doesn't quite have the tools or the interest in acquiring them, which is something we find so rarely. And I don't even think that's a question that's usually asked when we look at who we're going to promote into management. Uh, uh, that's another great example, Adam, because what you said, you said emotional intelligence. I was going to say maturity, and uh, I appreciate my emotional intelligence is the right phrase there because he he knew himself he knew himself well enough to tell the truth instead of going after the money or the title or whatever the extrinsic motivation might be. He knew for himself the truth about what he could do or couldn't do, and most people don't don't do that. Most people don't do that. They accept the promotion. And, and, and that's, again, promoting somebody into a position that does not have the skills uh, or the understanding of what they need to do is malpractice. It's, just, it's malpractice. It, it yes. causes damage. Yes. I can think of another example of that is when we have the mentality in organizations, whether they're entrepreneurial organizations or virtual organizations or corporate, where we promote somebody based on, well, they've been here the longest. It's their turn. There you go. Really? And how do you know you're not doing them a huge disservice by moving them where you want to put them right now? Maybe they were naturally designed to go another way, or maybe in the case of my friend, he had the realization that he's not saying he couldn't be a manager, but it's just something where he recognizes there's more skills he would need to develop, and he just doesn't want to do it now. Really bad decision. Very bad decision. Really bad method of deciding. Yep. That's yeah, a great it, 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 exactly. And and I happen to know and I happen to know that uh, he loves what he does for a living and he does extremely well at it. So it's great when people find something that they're really good at. Now, in our earlier conversation, Wally, you mentioned to me something about uh, G- General Electric's committee. Excuse me, commitment to what's known as raking. Now, can you explain to me what that term is, or explain to our readers rather what that term is, and yeah, uh, the, why this is so important? Yeah, uh, say the term again. What was the term you used? Raking. Ranking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rank and Ranking, yank. Yeah. Rank and yank is the is the phrase that GE made uh, famous. Uh, Jack Welch made famous. Jack Welch is, of course, the he was the CEO of uh, GE for rank. probably about fifteen twenty years. And um, he brought the brought the stock, doubled or tripled the stock, and uh, when he left, it uh, nosedived. He he was a big proponent of rank and yank. Rank and yank is uh, putting people on a bell curve. Uh, bell curve means uh, 10% of the people are your top performers. They get a most, if not all, the rewards and opportunities for promotion. Uh, the middle uh, 70%. Um, get uh just get you know the the normal um uh you know uh n- the normal raises if you will and uh, very very right. few extra bonuses and then the bottom 20% or t- bottom 10% you let go 
So every year they would rank everybody in GE and, and on this uh, on this scale, and uh, they'd let 10% go, and they would you know promote the other 10%. Now uh, I'm not sure they're still doing that. I think I think they're still doing it, but Microsoft tried it, and it and it almost killed Microsoft. Adobe tried it. They just stopped doing it. And there's a number of other organizations that it's caused incredible damage. In fact, there's another famous organization that that made the headlines uh, five, seven years ago, Enron. Enron did it. And uh, (laughs) I'm not sure that we'd want to duplicate that. So uh, Jack Welch is known for having that policy, and he touts it as something that made him successful. And I would argue that I uh, certainly a very smart guy and he and he uh, you know he he led the organization. I don't want to take too much away from him, but I think he's absolutely wrong about this. I think he would have been much more successful uh if he gotten much more cooperation. Right. Uh and uh and didn't pit people against each other the uh, uh the way that does. That causes all kinds of uh unintended consequences when you pit people against each other like that. In fact, uh that was uh, I would have I would predict that the boss that told you that uh you know the the appraisal stuff was bs because he already knows uh what he's going to give you as a raise that sounds a lot like the rank and yank how 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 so because the way he explained it to me um he was told by his boss look this is how much money you have to give to your people so this is right. all we can, all all we can give them so you have to find language in their appraisal to justify that well, and that's one of the reasons they use the rank and yank because they t- they know what how much money is in the budget, and then they distribute it based on that on that bell curve. So okay. they uh, and so if you're in that middle seventy percent, or if, uh, and, which I'm assuming you were, no 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 disrespect, but you know I, I, I mean I, I get you I get you okay uh, if you're in there then there's only so much money they can give you because that's why they do it that way they don't do it for development of people they don't do it to motivate people they don't do it for people to learn things they do it to, so the bean counters can say oh we're going to meet the budget this year and we can report to wall street that we're going to meet the budget in salary and salary is about uh, a salary and benefits about 70 percent of our cost so in order to do this we've got to make sure we meet that so that we meet the the uh you know the prediction on the street and uh, if we meet the prediction on the street, then the top guys get all the bonuses, and um, you know Adam gets three percent. Right. Uh, that's why they do it. That's why it's BS. Right. To me, to me, that doesn't sound very motivational. That's not motivational. <laughs> that's not. They're not interested in that. And that's why, right. you know, the buzzword today is employee engagement. I'm sure you've heard that. You know. How oh do you yeah. Get how do you get uh, uh, to engage people? And you know what's interesting is Gallup has been tracking this for about 20 years. Do you realize it's never gone above 31%? It's never gone above 31%. It, it hovers between 29 and 31%. Now, ask yourself, how could, if we're so smart in leadership, how could we only get 29% of our employees to be excited about work? There's got to be something wrong, and, and and what's wrong is our leadership model. And our leadership model is not about engagement at all. 
even though that's the current buzzword. It's really about control. It's about Frederick Taylor. That's really what it is. And, and Frederick Taylor is not about motivation. It's about control. That's why the engagement right. numbers don't go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was actually getting ready to say 29%. That almost sounds optimistic to me because I remember being in companies. You know, I have a lot of friends who work for companies or who go to a place where they're given a paycheck in exchange for X amount of time or X amount of services. And you don't really hear a whole lot of, woohoo, this is great, this is awesome. I really feel like I'm uh, kicking butt and taking names here. It's, uh, it's more, it seems to me, that it's more like uh, they're kind of looking over their shoulder hoping they still have their job. Yeah, that, that's not engagement at all. Engagement, here's the definition of engagement that I appreciate. It's actually from the Commerce Board, which is a pretty boring organization, but they came up with a pretty powerful uh, definition of engagement. It's the, it's the willingness to be, um, it's the willingness to give extra effort uh, voluntary extra effort for no reason at all, without any bribes, without any uh, threats. It's volunt- exertion of voluntary effort. So okay. uh, if somebody sees uh, something that needs to get done, they do it. They just do it. Why? Because they here, – here's why. We, we talked about this you know, about half an hour ago. It's the environment that we create – that's what causes them to take the extra effort. When they're in that environment, they understand what the vision is. They understand why they're there, the purpose. They understand that they're going to be treated always with respect, and people are going to keep agreements with them, and they know they're not going to be evaluated or criticized. They will put in extra effort. That's the key. How do you create that environment? You don't have to evaluate people. You create the environment. Right, exactly. I mean, and, you know, we could probably keep talking all day long. I wish we had five hours to do this. I know we're about uh, 45 minutes into this, but before we, uh, you know, start to move towards the the cap here, just one thing I want to get your thoughts on, and I think this really does tie to how we evaluate and how we motivate people and how this can tie to, you know, whether they're employees or whether they're contractors or virtual assistants, just the people who support you. I'm constantly reminded of Post-it notes. And I think a lot of our listeners know that the reason why we have Post-it notes is because somebody over at 3M did not properly mix the batch of glue. (laughs) Now, what what happens in most companies when somebody mixes up a big batch of glue that don't stick right? Well, you're you're asking me what happens in most companies is uh, they usually get, uh, get in trouble or they find somebody else to blame. Uh, so they they don't get in trouble, right? right? Either yeah. way, it's a blame game, and it becomes who didn't mix this glue up? Who's gonna pay for this? Is That's where right. they normally go. Now, fortunately, somebody over at 3M uh, was playing with this batch of glue that didn't quite stick the way it should, and they realized, okay, if we stick this to a piece of paper, we can stick this piece of paper to the wall. And then we can pull it off the wall without taking off the paint. Huh, I wonder. And it touched off a revolution. Yeah, they were a very innovative company uh, back then. I think that was right. when, I think that was in the 60s. Wasn't it 50s or 60s? I can't remember when they did that. I got a pile of paper, uh, post-it notes right on my desk here as you're saying that, as you're describing this story. So you're absolutely right. That's the innovation. And that's the other thing. When people feel like they're going to get criticized, 
innovation is dead. Right. Um, the story I like to tell, which is a little bit depressing, but it, uh, it's a true story about the Columbia shuttle. In uh, 2005, of course, uh, it, it exploded on reentry, and uh, we lost nine heroes. And uh, the root cause of that, when you when you read the report, it's a 150-page report uh, put out by NASA. Uh, Sixteen uh, rocket scientists spent nine months studying that accident, and uh, it, right in the first few pages, what's the root cause? Uh, a piece of foam broke off from the the rocket and hit the wing uh, on takeoff, and it it caused a small crack in one of the heating tiles, such that upon reentry, the um, you know the the tile wouldn't hold up, and the heat uh, broke apart the wing, and then broke apart the whole ship, and everybody died. Well, that's the physical root cause, but they said that there's more. What's the cultural root cause, they asked. Well, the cultural root cause was nobody was willing to speak up. Nobody was willing to tell the truth. They knew that there was a possible flaw here. They found it in the records. The engineers were afraid to tell the management team because they were afraid they were going to be criticized. We lost nine heroes because somebody was afraid to speak up. Now, in your small business people that listen to the show, uh, if somebody's not willing to speak up sometimes, usually people don't die. But something right. happens or doesn't happen that costs money. And entrepreneurs cannot afford to lose any money. They can't afford to to have any loss at all. It's not They've the got truth. to have everybody willing to speak the truth. And uh, if you treat people the way we've been taught to treat people, you're going to lose money. How have we been taught to treat people, just so we define our terms? Well, uh, we've been taught to treat them with control. Uh, right. uh, look, at the, look at our schools. Our schools, uh, do the teachers have freedom? No. No. They have to follow a curriculum. Who, who creates the curriculum? Some set of bureaucrats create a curriculum. In fact, we've got this thing called Common Core now which is really a, a, a nationwide curriculum that's being forced on a lot of schools. And I say forced on purpose because they're given the curriculum. The teachers have to teach to it. Why? Because the schools will not get funded unless the, t the kids meet certain standards on the tests, which are based on uh, the curriculum that's, that is taught. That's a Frederick Taylor control technique. Our schools are set up as Frederick Taylor. Our public schools are set up with Frederick Taylor uh, scientific management. And so are our universities. And it's completely dysfunctional. That's why you ask, uh, I, ask the average person, so what percentage of kids cheat in school? The answer is 80%. 80% cheat at some point. Now, why do they do that? I did, and I thought I didn't have a choice. It was the only way I was going to get through, and I was considered gifted, but I couldn't find another way around it. There you go. You have to. It's just like the leader that says to the customer service person that story that you told earlier. You know, you, you got to tell the customer this because you know we got to sell the. You're putting them in a position where they have to lie or cheat in order to get through. That that's right. not performance. That's not that's not quality. That's not performance. That, that's not values. That, that's not, not, not practice. Not at all. 
Not, not, not at all. And, and, and what I think happened with that company is uh, that I mentioned earlier is I think the customer service reps, I'm, I'm, I don't think they were outright told to lie and say, oh, no, well, I mean, I don't think they were outright told that. No. But I think when they attempted to go to their management and say, look, I think we have some role problems with our machines and our customers are really starting to complain here. Management probably shook their head and, you know, waved their hands like, you know, just stop. And they said, no, 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 we need to go back to these customers. We need to find out why they can't manage their websites. We need to find out why they keep screwing up. We need to push this because we can't have these customers messing with our servers. And without outright saying lie to the customer right. or even outright right. saying push back to the customer, just by making it known that the only thing management wanted to hear is that it was the customer's fault, they sent the message loud and clear, don't bring this crap to us. Yeah, don't, don't tell me the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. Yes. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, uh, if I gave the impression that I purpose that uh, they purposely told them to lie, I I, I apologize. That's not what nothing I to, to nothing say. to apologize for because some companies okay. actually do do that, and I think there are a lot of companies, unfortunately, that uh, will do that where they'll just communicate in a way that makes clear that they don't want to hear it, they don't want to know, and there's only really one correct answer. They won't come out and say this, but uh, they'll just beat you around until you get it. Well, look at look at the the current uh, story about the VA. Uh, yeah, they they had a separate list. Why did they have a separate list? Because they had uh, they had a bonus plan that uh, forced the people. Uh, it it encouraged highly encouraged. Let's say highly encouraged. I'll, I'll underestimate it. Right. it. Highly encouraged the clerks to focus on the easy cases first. Why? Because the more cases they did, the more the, the more bonus money they would make. So they right. ended up with two lists. They put the harder cases, the ones that were really tough and that were terminal cases, on a separate list. And then they reported how they were doing such great stuff on these other cases. They never reported the other ones so that they could make the bonus. Now, that is lying, but they right. but the leadership set that up. Now, I don't I don't. You know, I, I, I'm not making excuses for the for the clerks to do that, but but the leadership set it up. That's leadership malpractice. Exactly, exactly. So we have about eight minutes left here, and I do want to give you a couple minutes at the end here just to share a couple things with our listeners about how you can support them and how they can gain support from you. But before we do that, what I want to do is I just want to give um, you know those of us uh, who are listening here today uh, just some sort of real quick stepwise action plan that uh, they can start implementing right now. That's like that first step forward they can take in terms of what needs to happen so that they can stop the leadership malpractice and start running their businesses and motivating their teams the right way. Yeah, there's four things they can do. There's four things they can do. Number one, they can create a really clear vision, a picture of what they want their organization to look like in the future. They can create a very clear mission or purpose statement. And I don't mean one of these long two-and-a-half paragraphs of uh, baloney. I mean, right. here's why I'm, I'm in – I'll give you mine. Mine is I want to be the best source of insight for my customers that I can possibly be that helps them to be the most successful they could be. So I want to be the best source of insight. That's So every single day – that's my purpose, and right. uh, and so 
how how can you clarify and what I'm asking people to do sounds simple and it's not easy but the, if you do if you can figure it out it makes a huge difference the third thing that they must do is clarify the behaviors uh as it relates to what are the behaviors you want to see from both first of all yourself as it relates to respect in other words um you know no condescension no sarcasm uh, treat others the way you would like to be treated. What are the specific behaviors that you could describe that would describe respect, that would describe integrity, uh, making agreements, only making agreements you're willing to keep, keeping your agreements, um, letting people know when you can't keep agreements, and uh, customer focus. How are you going to treat customers, and what do you want from your people as it relates to treating customers. So you tell you treat customers with integrity and respect. That means you never lie to customers. Uh ever. Right. Uh that means you you anticipate what customers need. Uh I was standing in a hotel, um uh, very very nice hotel, and um uh, I had gotten a cup of coffee and I, I didn't get one of those little koozies, you know, and I and it was hot and <laughs> I'm like juggling it and I'm spilling it and the guy came out from around the desk. I didn't ask him anything. He came from around the desk. He got one of the koozies from the coffee shop, brought it over to me, and handed it to me. And he, and he said, let me help you put this on. I mean, that's a simple, simple gesture, but it's a powerful message that you anticipate what your customers need because they don't always know what to ask for, but – but if you can anticipate, then you really are serving them. So what behaviors do you want to have? And then once you know those behaviors, then you you look for those behaviors in your people, and you always follow their behaviors. The final thing to do is to be open to feedback from your people when you don't behave the way you would like them to behave because they're looking at you as a model. If you don't do what you say you're going to do and what you want them to do, the whole thing falls apart. The whole thing falls apart. Uh, uh, there's a famous saying, uh, integrity is the essence of everything successful. Buckminster Fuller said that. There's a quote from Buckminster Fuller. Integrity is the, is, uh, is the, uh, is the essence of success. Right. And so th- these are basics. You know, and this isn't rocket science. It's not easy to do, but it's simple. This is what your entrepreneurs have to do. Uh, to right. Really leverage. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so Wally, first of all, uh, you know, let me just say that I want to thank you so much for taking time to spend time with us today here at the Business Creators Radio Show. And before we break off, um, I'd just like to turn the floor over to you for just one more moment here, and just uh, you know, tell our listeners how you serve business creators and how folks can take things to the next level uh, should they find what they learned here today to be highly interesting and be ready to make the next step? Well, I have two books on my website, and they can check out those books on my website. My website is wallyhauk.com, W-A-L-L-Y-H-A-U-C-K.com. If they're interested in how to think about this leadership model that I described, uh, I have a book called The Art of Leading. And if they're interested in how they can manage people better, uh, I have something called Stop the Leadership Malpractice. And uh, so those are my two books. Now, I I emailed you earlier. I hope you got the email. I'd like to offer a free article, too. And so sure. if there's a way 
to put that up on the website. There's an article that's appearing in uh, Wiley's uh, Global Business and uh, Organizational Excellence Journal this month on uh, what I call fearless feedback. How do you give feedback fearlessly and receive feedback fearlessly? And it's a research paper uh, about one of my clients. So that's a uh, free giveaway. Uh, I hope uh, your entrepreneurs, um, I know they can use it. Um, I know they'll get something out of it, and it's research-based, and it describes some of the things that we talked about tonight. Great, absolutely. So once again, Wally Howell, thank you so much for joining us today. As I said, this has been not only an honor and a pleasure, but it's certainly been an education. This is a very hot button for me. It was very much a hot button back when I used to work in the corporate world, and I've seen, as I've moved over into entrepreneurship over the past 10 years, that when we talk about these things called virtual teams that we're all supposed to have one of, or all supposed to be one of, and yeah. a lot of these same issues are here, and sometimes it gets even worse because, in some cases, people become entrepreneurs without managerial experience, and there is nobody above them to correct them. Yes, that's true. That's and that makes, true. And that, makes it even, that makes it even more dramatic. And then, meanwhile... They're wondering why their contractors bail all the time, and why people, and why, and why, and why so many times they get handed their invoices at the end of the month, and the invoice comes with a note that says "Thanks, nice knowing you," and they can't yes. keep anybody around, or you know the, or you have sometimes have the entrepreneur who it seems like they've gone through eight web designers or eight graphic designers or eight people to manage their Facebook, and they just can't find anybody who can do it. Yes. And that I think, I think it goes a little those bit are beyond. Great examples. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So if you find yourself in any of these situations, for those of you who are listening, please go back and rewind this because I think you're going to find some great insights that may help you move past that and relate and engage with your team members so you can start getting these things done, so you can get your website launched, so you can create that engagement on social media, so you can get that product out there, and you can get that new service going on or get that event filled. So there's so many things you can do. Now, just want to say thank you very much, everybody, for listening. This is Adam Homey, host of BusinessCreatorsRadioShow.com. Please visit our website, check out our previous and our upcoming episodes, learn how our guest experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing. Also, check us out and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. <laughs>